Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Entertainment of Excellence, the podcast where we talk about films, TV, all of it. Hi, I'm Ollie. I'm Tom. And I'm Ben. And we did the intro correct. Go! <laughs> well done, Tom. First time in a while. We're up to episode 10 now. Massive milestone for the podcast. Oh yeah, big, big milestone. Yeah. Could this episode be even more impe- important than the entertainment worthy of excellence episode? Oh. It'd probably be my... slightly more impressive if you know we hadn't had the two break, but <laughs> yeah, our actual tenth consecutive episode will be the fifteenth. So we're discussing the film Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas today. Indeed, directed by Terry Gilliam. Uh, I don't know. He was part of. Uh, he he basically directed their stuff and did the animation as well. The animation for what? Sorry, he could be bit. pretty weird. Or... Have you have you seen anything else by Terry Gilliam? I mean, obviously, Monty Python, Lily Gray. I think, Ben, you've seen Brazil, haven't you? Have you? No, I haven't. Yeah. No, it's some of this, though. Well, I thought you had for some reason. Maybe no. I'll be... see one of the Python-related films then by him. But, uh, yes. I mean, shall I... If summary, if there really is a plot. <laughs> um, oh. So, it's about... A sports journal who goes to Las Vegas with his lawyer to on the mint motorcycle. But they basically just use it as an excuse to go on a drug-induced bender. So they get to Las Vegas. They basically miss the... Uh, because... So they just run away. And then he, So they don't even know who wins. And then he's, uh, they end up like trying to run away. His lawyers, Johnny Depp plays, uh, wants to get out. And then he gets a call from go straight back to La. And on the attorney's conference against uh, dangerous politics, which uh, is is a great bit. That is. Probably the best part of the second half, I think. Yeah. Shall we talk about some specific scenes? I've got a couple yeah. of sort of questions first, over. Should we yeah. go for the questions? Yeah. So I guess the most important one is is it based on true events? Um and it was the film itself was based on the book um by Hunter S. Thompson. Um which is semi autobiographical in that it's kind of reflects some events that he'd gone through personally, but he fictionalizes himself um as this character. Um and obviously yeah. embezzles it a bit. Apparently Thompson's workday started at three PM. <laughs> I was like, my kind of this wasn't he um, 
Sports Illustrated sort of hired him to produce an article about the the race. Actually, he was supposed to do it, and then they rejected his article, so he wrote this. Is it a book or a, or an article? I think it is a book, isn't it? Well, yeah, it apparently the original article was ten times the word, the desired word count. And then I thought, I think he sort of just like made notes in some sort of journal, and then that was uh, came out as a book. But I think with a lot of his fans, from what I've seen, because it was sort of what he became known for, a lot of a lot of his like true fans are sort of saying that's not his best work. You know, a lot of people, if there's some sort of mainstream thing for a certain author or artist or whatever, they can. A lot of hardcore fans can often say it's not. Not his best. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's also kind of weird because the film and the book are often referred to as just fear and loathing. Uh, short, but he's also used the phrase fear and loathing in the titles of like some of his other works. Um, which could or could not, have, which might or might not have been an attempt to like stop this work from standing out as much, but who knows. Yeah, the, the full title's favourable. back on uh, the success of his book, really. Maybe. The full title is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas A Savage Journey to the Heart of the American Dream. Is that... I thought that was the, that's the book. journey. I thought that was just like a subtitle. Yeah, that's... It's its subtitle, which yeah. is quite apt because a lot of the a lot of the sort of themes of the the film and the book really represent like how in the early seventies the sort of optimism of the American dream has sort of faded and everyone's was just in this hedonistic lifestyle. Um and so like protagonist um Raoul Duke um and the attorney Dr. Gonza. They're just like taking lots and lots of drugs and to try and like have some sense of fun and meaning in like this sur- these surroundings which seem really hostile and really um like <laughs> Not very good for a lack of, lack of a better term. Well, apparently the the book, because it was written in response to his article getting rejected, that's like properly angry, which is where the loathing comes from. Um, yeah. And what's interesting is that actually in the film, they managed to capture a lot more of the fear and like paranoia of the times. Obviously, was it after Vietnam? Had ended at that point or not? Um, I think the Cold think War was so. still going on. Set. 1971. Yeah. So the Vietnam yeah. War was still going on. It sort on. of escalated in like 68. That was like the yeah. peak of the Vietnam War. So there, there would have been a lot of paranoia about America in general because, you know, people were getting drafted and stuff like that. And I mean, Johnny Depp's performance in this is amazing i think i mean he manages to be like really goofy just somehow i don't know he's he's, he's, he's you don't say electric because his character is just like swooning about everywhere with it and this like 
awkward gawky walk but he just completely embodies it i mean it's obviously johnny depp is like a massive star now but i never saw him as johnny depp yeah if you know what i mean uh he did also manage to yeah and he did manage to seem really paranoid at points you know when he's just in a bar with full of reptilians according to his uh completely like whacked out mind yeah it was it was kind of odd that like if i see johnny depp or i guess the same goes for like most big actors in a movie nowadays i'll just think oh there's there's johnny depp there's this big name but like here and i don't know whether it's because he wasn't as famous then or something but like yeah you just i only saw him as the character um yeah you don't go oh look it's jack sparrow on lsd yeah yeah he re- oh look it's he- spider-man with strange strangly blonde <laughs> oh yeah toby Maguire <laughs> is in this as well he looks like he's um got a receding hairline and then he's got straw on his head Spider-Man. <laughs> basically <laughs> Yeah. Um, but to aid to like the paranoia of the drugs and stuff, like Gilliam's directing is brilliant, with loads of weird visuals and there's like carpet merging onto the walls, and the camera angles are always like slanted. And yeah, well, actually, usually there's a lot of like kind of slightly pointing up shots at Johnny Depp, so you kind of see under his sunglasses and into his like raging eyes and stuff and also because it's slanted a bit you kind of always feel a bit off balance and like you're spiraling down with them those were really effective but sort of the psychedelic stuff wasn't overdone it was sort of done just right because they could have quite easily just had the whole film uh, sort of broken in intervals with these weird scenes but they were sort of kept to a minimum, but which sort of just made them a more poignant sort of. Yeah. yeah. And another thing was like when you're in the heart of the psychedelic scenes, it would have been really easy to like go over the top with visual effects. And whilst there were there was some used, I didn't feel they were they they weren't like cheesy and they weren't um they they really weren't overdone. So like even when. And they haven't aged too badly either, I don't think. Yeah. Because like the the scene with like all of the the lizards, um, and everything, like, I didn't really think that that was like if you compare that to, say, I don't know, the Phantom Menace or something, which was made around the same time, like, obviously this is this wouldn't have had as much of a budget, but because they were used so sparingly, I think it was, I don't know, they just aged better. Yeah. No, it's, a lot it of still the, looks good. Yeah. And a lot of the focus on the psychedelic aspect is more to do with how, like, they use light and the angles and the cinematography and everything. The visual yeah, effects are only there. Like, changes the colours a lot as well. Yeah. Like when he takes the adrenochrome and it all goes red. There's like that reptilian eyes and stuff, and that that's like the the big. That's like the worst drug he takes, does it? Isn't it during the film? Yeah. Yeah. So they properly go all out on making that weird. 
what other visual stuff did they do? Oh, there was one of the scenes uh, I liked was when he was trying to filter back through like his scrambled mind and his memories because he can't remember anything that's happened. And to kind of visualize this, they show him in his hotel room that's completely trashed, like way more than it is in real life because it's got like two feet of water in. But he's kind of going through a tape recorder that gets scrambled as a way to figure out what happened. I think yeah. that's what I think that's what it was. Yeah, <laughs> like using the tape recorder to go back through the events that happened because he just has no idea. And then there's the stuff like, <laughs> how much for that ape? Yeah, they only show like really brief clips as well. Yeah. Tell you what, if I owned a hotel, I would not let him in. <laughs> He, he just waltzes up to the guy at the front. Uh, that Oh, that's the second time. The first time, <laughs> the narration goes like, um, try not... Oh, it's like, forget about this terrible drug. Don't let its effects show. <laughs> and then he just goes like... Hum, hum, uh, mm. <laughs> so, yeah, you did great. Yeah. The hotel, the the second hotel they went to, was also kind of odd because the like the carpet was had like these swirly patterns on it, and there were there were mirrors everywhere. Which like it's very subtle, but given the context of the film, that kind of adds a more sort of subtle psychedelic mood. Yeah, because that's like when they're saying Las Vegas is the worst place to to take drugs in, because it's just all so sort of hectic and uh, that sort of embodies the thing they're saying is sort of the last resort in their scenario. The script is really good as well. Um, there's so many great quotes from it. Yeah. Like a, oh, where's the f- opening line? Oh, here it is. It's like the first line where we, we were somewhere around Barstow on the edge of the desert when the drugs began to take hold, and that's like yeah, the first yeah. line, which yeah, is great. Like a- sure was good, but most of the spoken lines are sort of murmured and. Well, I think decide what they were saying. I know that's intentional, but mm. yeah, there were like a few uh, standout. We, we ones. can't stop here. This is backcountry. That was a great one. Yeah, most of the dialogue is either like really iconic or um like significant to the plot in some way or like yeah. the flip side is just incoherent rambling or like coherent but it doesn't make sense. Um and I guess like it's the same with the plot really that there's there's not too much there's not too much of an overarching plot like the whole film really is just them taking drugs and yeah, the journalist tried to write his I think like story, but because it's supposed to be about the journey to find the American dream, I think it's kind of showing about what happened in the sixties, where it's just everyone, you know, they're told, oh yeah, we need to find the American dream or whatever, and they just yeah. kind of ramble around, and it was a summer of love, the Vietnam War, and nothing really happened. I think part of the lack of direction is showing the aftermath of the 60s and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
the, I mean, it was it was really funny at points as well, like that. Uh, the drug convention. He's just got like cocaine around his nose in the middle of all these policemen, and it it does well. I mean, I it shows like how awful his experiences on drugs are, and then shows the flip side of how out of touch the police are. Yeah, talking about like the four types of people on marijuana and it's like cool groovy hip and square <laughs> yeah cockroach oh yeah watch out for the marijuana addict I think one of the weird one of the weirdest scenes was um when he was like caught for speeding and then he pulled over and then I just and then the guy was just like oh yeah I can have a kiss yeah, that was kind of like that was really surreal. I guess I don't. Yeah. Like, I feel like it was probably it was probably real, but you kind of you kind of got the feeling that you were questioning, like, yeah, that happens is this a lot happening or not? Because it's, it was so weird. He was like prepared to give himself up for being a criminal, but then like even when the police like found that he'd had drugs in the back and some like soap, it was just like. You're going to go to that rest area. I call, I pulled you over for for speeding. You know you're going to go to that rest area. Yeah. Yeah. You get what I'm saying, and it was <laughs> weird. Yeah, that line where he was just like, "Can I have a kiss before you go?" was so odd. It gets very lonely out here. Yeah. <laughs> Is he even on drugs? No, there's a lot place? of like random scenes. Like, do you remember the flashback to the nightclub where oh, he's yeah. like taking LSD and then spills some on his arm, and then some other guy just starts licking it off, and someone walks oh, into yeah. the bathroom and <laughs> is scarred for life. Yeah, and you just see like a montage of him sitting by a bar, and then every time someone leaves the men's toilets, he looks over. <laughs> <laughs> It was also like I guess if you if we go into the characters the the journalist um like he I wouldn't really say he's like necessarily a bad person he's just he just wants to experiment with drugs and it's like under the effects of them for most of the film but then like um the lawyer Doctor Gonzo like. I think we can we can say that he is a bad person just yeah. in general because like he he fully he fully like manipulated that that like Christian girl. Yeah. Does he ever even say like what he was what his intention was? I don't think he I can't did. Remember. And then like Blah. um when when I've forgotten their names now. When the <laughs> when the journalist then goes like sort of hyperbolically on w- what like he could do to us like sexually, he like feigns feigns surprise and says, "I well, wouldn't have heard these words from you." But <laughs> you kind of get the feeling that that's at odds with his character, especially when like he. <laughs> 
he just goes completely mental in the first hotel scene and it's like has a knife and is threatening to stab the journalist if he doesn't if he doesn't put the the radio back on and throw it in the bath with him and then just like I ditches him yeah. and leaves him to clean I up all the mess. How, um, and obviously they were both completely high throughout it, but there was it was almost as if there was all there was always one of them who was who had taken it more extreme than the other, and that sort of kept kept on reversing. So there was obviously the scene with the yeah. bathtub where um, the Gonzo was like uh, completely off his head, and then there was the scene in the other uh, hotel room where he's like almost being presented as a, a devil. Yeah, um, when he's on the adrenochrome. Yeah. And then there's like the the scene when they were at the like the cafe and then the Dr. Gonzo got like really crude and nasty with the the woman behind the bar. And yeah. the journalist I found his name, Raoul Duke. He's like he seems to be just trying to get on with his work and then basically the Dr. Gonzo just leaves her crying because He's been like quite abusive and goes out to his car. Um, and like Duke needs to follow him, but like he's sort of lingering at the door and unsure what to do. And you kind of get the sense that he feels a bit sorry. I, I don't know about that, but it was clear that uh, Dr. Gonzo had definitely done a lot more than him. Yeah. There's so many great quotes. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, I wish I'd written them down, but I mean, like we've only seen it once. Uh, like a drug person can cope with things like seeing their dead grandmother crawling up their leg with a knife in her teeth, but no one should be asked to handle this trip. And it just goes on and on. So the writing's brilliant. I think, I think they took most of it from the book, probably. Um, I know. There's a there's a thing for like where f- fans of the book are like oh uh, I hate that it was made into a film because you can't show the surrealism of uh, the book I mean it was pretty surreal it did a good job but it also still like a lot of the narration and stuff encapsulates what I assume they're going for like the there's a quote about the energy like just an Im- where they basically say that America has this inevitable sense of victory and they can basically just win by riding the energy that they have on this wave and then you can see a high watermark on the edge of Las Vegas where the wave finally broke and went back or something. So sometimes when it's not just being like really weird and surreal, it can have some almost poignant quotes maybe yeah that wave that wave speech is like Thompson's favourite passage from the book it says here that um, it's from the 8th chapter and it's like a whole monologue and he chose to read it when I asked like interviews so yeah it is kind of cool that they had that whole montage with the, the monologue of it I guess it pays tribute to him 
Well, he actually appears in the film, but I, d- I didn't know because yeah. I didn't know what Thompson looked like. And it's actually a quote where uh, Duke says, there I am. He's like, I remember I was there. And then he says, oh, look, there I am. Or whatever. Um, and, and I was like, that, that's not Johnny Depp, what? <laughs> but it turns out that was actually Thompson. Oh, yeah. so makes sense. Yeah. There was also the thing where there was a telegram for Thompson. And it was like, oh yeah, given yeah, to, yeah. I would <laughs> give it to Raoul. I guess yeah, that, that makes got, sense. Kind of got a bit meta there with the whole fictionalization of himself. <clears throat> I wish I'd noticed stuff like that. I should have actually looked at who the author was, really. Yeah, I, I did like. 15 minutes research before I watched because <laughs> I was actually there on time for once a bit early well done <laughs> the budget wasn't yeah. tiny actually 18 and a half million mm. but it was a it was a financial failure because it bought, only brought in 13.7 million oh uh, uh, yeah but it's like, since it's become a cult classic so you know yeah, it's only got a 41 meta score. But. Yeah, it wasn't well received by critics. No. A lot of people say it's because people miss the stuff about the American Dream and also think that uh, it glorifies drugs and stuff. Yeah. And there's one here that says a lot of ta- talent's gone down the drain. Like, but the acting and direction was so good, I thought. I think it's mm. probably the lack of plot and people that have read the book and don't like the film, which always happens. I, I sometimes think that massive fans of books don't want there to be a good adaptation. Mm. So they just kind of will say that all of it is, uh, any adaptation is bad. Like the bottom one just says one long offensive treatise on just how vile two human beings can be. But I don't think that was the point. No. Also, yeah, if that film was glorifying drug use, then, <laughs> you know, it was pretty much presented as just... I don't think there's ever any, like, positive connotations of being on drugs in the film. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I guess it depends what kind of person you are. Well, yeah, I guess. Could... I mean, the only thing might be the fact that they're like detached from their surroundings, but like most of mm. the film was just them being rude, aggressive, like getting chucked out of places, throwing up, absolutely they literally trashing can't hotel walk rooms. Yeah. When they're on devil's ether and <laughs> they just kind of stumble around into the turnstiles. Hmm. Uh, we need to do the section of um, giving a list of all the drug use today. Oh that yeah, that's the questions. Top questions, yeah. Yeah. In the case, you you just have to look at the opening line lines again. Yeah. Uh, batch of quotes. Uh, okay. Two bags of grass, seventy-five pellets of mescaline, five sheets of high-powered blotter acid, a salt shaker half full of cocaine, and a whole galaxy of multicolored uppers, downers, screamers, and lathers. Uh, 
Also, a quart of tequila, a quart of rum, a case of beer, a pint of raw ether, and two dozen amyls. There we go. There you go, if you're curious. Almost read out half the script. That doesn't mention the adrenochrome, though. Mm. Oh, the adrenochrome comes later. It's pretty big. Yes. Yeah, I was... At points, I was sort of unclear when certain things happened. I know there was a time when you were... When you asked, oh, is this the say? Is this still a flashback? You know, when yeah. they sort of flashback to the lift scene. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't make it entirely clear. I guess that sort of um sort of proliferates the whole uh, lack of clarity and coherence with them, obviously, on the drugs. Hmm. Yeah. So I guess if that's you... also links to the scene at the end where. Not directly at the end, but you know how you're saying with the sort of recordings and he's trying to um, structure his memories. Yeah. And then the tape gets all like, it comes out. Yeah, the, the, the coherence of the, like, the order of events. If you really, like, if you really think through it, then yes, you can work out what came where. But if you're just watching it for the first time, like you just get quite conf- like quite confused, um, and that was probably yeah, as you said, that was probably quite intentional to like reflect how confused they were on the drugs. Yeah, yeah, and like I guess if they went back after they come down and looked back, then they'd be able to structure the events. But in the heat of the moment. <clears throat> what well, how um last episode we we talked about the poster uh what do you think of the poster of this film it's pretty epic it is pretty epic the yeah the wobbly neck and the big head with the yeah. glasses of las vegas in yeah. did we talk about the poster last time <laughs> no the, not the actual poster of the film but how uh, I can't even remember the, his name, but how he wanted to cast it in it because he'd seen another one of the posters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> True. Is it kind of bad that the poster for Fear and Loathing reminds me a bit of, like, Vector from Despicable Me? <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's because of the thin neck that... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Completely unrelated, no. Let's not go on a tangent about Despicable Me like we did with Star Wars last week. No, quick, we need to talk about... Okay, Johnny Depp in the role, like, there's so many great things with just the cigarette that's hanging out of his mouth, like, at all times, that he manages to move up and down as he talks. Like, he just wiggles. And there's... The he precarious seems to... little strand at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, yeah. And he manages to, like... He looks really small because he's always got his knees slightly bent and he's hunched over. And the way he walks is with like his knees pointing outwards. Yeah, it's it's great. He, he, I I don't know how he managed to become him. And apparently he did like spend a lot of time with Thompson and tried to study his mannerisms and stuff. Mm. Anyway, speaking of despicable me, <laughs> I'll just. <laughs> Oh no. So. Yeah. Do you want to talk about gonzo journalism? Because apparently that's what 
Thompson was famous for, but I can't. Which is probably why the lawyer is called Doctor Gonzo. Yeah, I've, I have a feeling he was definitely like caricature. Yeah, I mean, I guess the film is kind of. Uh, I mean, I yeah. So it it is. The film is kind of Gonzo journalism. So yeah, there's because it basically means there's no objectivity and will often include the reporter as a part of the story via a first-person narrative. Yeah, so it's definitely... Well, I think he pretty much pioneered it because... Yeah. yeah. It's not really... was coined to describe his works. It's not really around today, though, is it? I mean, I know you popularised it, but... Is there any? Uh, I'm gonna look. I'm looking. I'm looking if there's any modern Gonzo journalism. <laughs> um, I think it looks like there is still. It might still be a bit obscure. Because I mean, it literally means bizarre and <laughs> uh, odd. I th- I think. Is Gonzo journalism dead? <laughs> the question Google it. just brings up uh, saying that like Thompson died <laughs> or something. Oh. So okay, that's not helpful. Very professional googling on a podcast. We've never done that before. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely don't do that all the time in the backgrounds looking up stuff. No, I don't really promote Google in particular. You can use whatever search engine you want. Oh yeah, are you still using Google? I have something to show you. Well, I mean, we haven't got Google AdSense yet, so currently... May as well promote a Kozier until we get Google AdSense. When we've got Google AdSense, you're just not allowed to use any other search engine. (laughs) Right now, you have that freedom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I guess let's sort of... Round it up. What were your impressions of the film as a whole? I found it very entertaining. Somehow, I feel like it was paced pretty well, even though there was literally no plot. I, I don't know how to explain it. Like there was yeah. enough going on that I was enticed. Uh, obviously, great visuals, uh, good script. So yeah, those are my thoughts. Uh, am I giving a score? Uh, let's just all say our thoughts first, and then we'll give scores. Okay. Um, I enjoyed it, but I don't think I was as big as a fan of it as you two. Um, I, I thought the acting was really good, but I'm not I'm getting not too fond on Johnny Depp, and I I know that sort of the lack of coherence was intentional, as we've discussed already, but um. Just at parts, it was a bit chaotic and hard to follow. Yeah, I still think it. I'd still recommend it. I think it is. It's unique. Yeah, yeah. I I get it. It's it's one of those where I can enjoy and also understand why people don't like it. Yeah, looking at sort of people are wrong for not liking it. Yeah, reviews are quite uh, like divisive. You have um. Some people, well, this is the best review there is. Um, we find it. 
It's a six out of ten. And it says, I hate it. It's accurate to the novel. I hated the novel. So. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, they read the novel and. <laughs> and watched the film. Yeah. And even though they hated both of them, they gave it a six out of ten. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it was it was enjoyable. I would recommend it. It's very unique style, which I think you're either going to enjoy or you're going to like, not be a fan of. I don't think... I think, yeah, it's definitely a very divisive style and also like a divisive subject, I guess. Like, um how it portrays drug use and everything um but like it was it, it was enjoyable i like the directing i like the actors the acting sorry i'm not sure whether i'd say it was like objectively a great film though but yeah like i think i can see why it would become a cult classic because they're not usually like the most objectively great films they're just sort of ones that have a dedicated fan base who enjoy them for what they are um yeah yeah the 7.6 imdb yeah i think my rating depends on how well i think the message is and it's one that i feel like would probably go up maybe if i watched it again as people say but for now i'd give it a 7.5 you just give everything 7.5. Is that what I gave uh, Heckin... What did we watch last time? Uh, good time. So you have to well, check yeah, the website. But yeah. I'm going to give it... Actually, no, I thought it was, I thought it was a bit better. Go on. I'll, seven po- I'll be wacky and say 7.8. Uh, Ooh. I know. Um, I'm going to give it... 6.9 I was uh, going to give it a 6.8 <laughs> Epic I like the way we used to sort of just do try and do whole numbers or 0.5 but no it's just I'm going to give it a, a 6.92 Well I mean we've got to the massive number of 10 episodes now yeah, and you kind of look at the want. other films that uh, you've given similar stuff and I'm like, actually, it's a tiny bit better than this one, but not as good as this one. Yeah. I think for the first few episodes, what we did was like whole numbers and 0.5. But then I guess the problem with that is, and especially as we're going to be doing more and more films, like a lot of the ratings averaged out, you'll ha- you end up with like lots of films with a 7, lots of films with a yeah. 7.5. Yeah. Well, not in those days, because when we originally did it, we used to go everything like, Eight or 8.5. Yeah, everything <laughs> yeah, is yeah. an 8 or an 8.5. Yeah, there's slightly more think... harsh now, but... <laughs> I, think, I think now the sort of... When you do it like... Yeah, like you did before, then you end up giving, like, Black Panther an 8 out of 10. Yeah. The criteria is aged with us. Which, looking back, Black Panther is definitely not an 8 out of 10. Maybe we should reevaluate those those ratings. Yeah, Blade Runner's only slightly better than Black Panther, guys. Yeah. I think I actually... Well, you're the Blade Runner expert. Special guest only for Blade Runner episodes. I need to rewatch them, because they feel like a hazy dream. (laughs) And and I've I've read Do Android Dream of Electric Sheep now, so I'm even more of a Blade Runner expert. I mean, we gave Blade Runner an 8.5, and 
Honestly, I think I'd probably agree with that. What did I give it? I gave it an 8. The one thing you we agree with. All <laughs> three of time. us gave us an 8.5. The, the sequel will never know. I'm not sure if oh, it yeah, did do we... an 8. That maybe that could be special. Uh, right, okay, here we go. Are we are we gonna do? Some, we're gonna be good podcast boys. If we <laughs> we will say we can do a Blade Runner twenty forty nine episode if we hit some kind of milestone. Ooh. that's what people do, right? Episodes. How about <laughs> what platform are we gonna go for? <laughs> That's true, <laughs> guys. If I mean, we get YouTube one more subscriber and get ten <laughs> subscribers, I mean, wait, is I it think... is it on Netflix at the moment though? Because if it no. isn't, then... how did we, we watch could... it last time? Does one of us have it? I've on got it on Blu-ray. I think Ben oh, okay, does as well. That's, that's how. Okay, so uh, we've apparently got an estimated twelve listeners across podcast platforms. Should we say when we get to? Should we set the bar high and go for 50 listeners? Ooh. <laughs> that could take Hopefully a while. the lockdown will be over by then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we get, if we, if we get to 50 listeners... It could be a couple of days' time. <laughs> I mean, I guess... I guess I was planning, possibly, because, like, we're only 40 minutes in and recommendations don't take too long. I guess we could, like, mm-hmm. look back at a couple of the episodes we've done, just, like... Given it's the tenth one, and it's cool like that. Stalltrick tenth episode. I'm trying to remember if I listened to. I think I listened to some of the ones I wasn't in. I, I'll never listen to ones I was in. <laughs> well, so episode. I'm sure one, I listened Dirk to the gently. Psychoville one. Episode one, Dirk Gently. Classic. Where we reviewed episode one of Dirk Gently. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen all of season one now, and a tiny bit of season two. All of it, but. I remember very little. I think I've also read two of the books, maybe. Oh, I've read one of the books. It was a couple of years ago, though. The first one, with the electric monk and stuff. I can't remember anything other than the electric monk. What happened <laughs> in the book? Well, you didn't say the only thing you remember from the, the sequel to Blade that there was someone ate cheese or something. <laughs> no, no, someone says cheese. <laughs> okay, I swear. Um, What's his name? The Ming... Actor, what's he called? Ryan, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Yeah, I swear. Okay, he's in a house, right? And I think he finds Harrison Ford at a grand piano, and then one of them says cheese. The, <laughs> that is the extent of my knowledge. I remember that scene, but not that line. I swear, because I remember. Yeah. Vault. Cheese about you now, would you, boy? <laughs> yes! I was right. See, there, there was a cheese scene. Cheese. I, yeah. I wasn't making it up. Apparently it's a Treasure Island reference. Cool. I wouldn't know that. And then there was the... Original Blade. 
Or are you parents? What did so, you say? Yeah. Sorry. Even we'll getting that back now. If... Come on. <laughs> uh, the um, the Discord dropped out for a bit. What what were you saying? Uh oh, I was talk I was talking about the piece of cheese. Okay, so Blade the cheese scene is real in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Yeah, yeah, I I heard that bit. Some... Okay. Did, we then... oh, I was just talking about like the quizzes and the the section we did where it answered all those questions. Oh yeah, <laughs> without saying anything. Then there's the iconic "Sorry about the wait" post from May twenty ninth, twenty eighteen. Then, almost two years later, on May 22nd, 2020, <laughs> the big return. Yes. Obviously. Oh. We could have waited a week, and then... No, if we'd waited a week, then we could have got it on the 29th of May, 2020. That it'd be exactly two years. <laughs> this is so sad. We didn't want to... People had waited for too long. <laughs> Lewis was clawing his ears out, waiting to hear us again, obviously. Yeah. And there's uh, the Birdemic episode we did, where <laughs> we'd recorded an original Birdemic episode a long time ago and long since lost it because I was lost supposed in to time. edit it. Not even lost the the actual recording, just lost the memory of it as well until quite recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We did a Blade Runner twenty forty nine episode as well, unaired. Yeah, there were there were yeah. two episodes. It was Blade Runner twenty forty nine. There was another one, and we were racking our brains to find out what it was. And then suddenly, Birdemic. It was Birdemic. Yeah. How can you forget Birdemic? How? I think we'd done like a skit or something, and we were at the start of it, and we were going to do something like that, but then we just. Oh, didn't dear. do any more episodes. <laughs> then there was Hollywood, and then Good Time. And yeah, then... and now we're here. Now we're, oh, we're here. back to where we are. How about Heavy and Metal? Did you say that? We... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Heavy Metal. Every Should single episode place? since we since we came back, um, we managed to get the intro wrong. So. We might post some clips of <laughs> no, that we got on it right this social time. media. This time was right. Yeah, apart from this time. I've been practicing all week. <laughs> In front of the mirror. And we just, yeah. I, I notice we naturally know that the order is Ollie, me, Ben. Yeah, why is that? Because you're the special out. guest. It's not even like <laughs> alphabetically and, or anything. It's just how oh, it yeah, is. We, yeah, that's just. I think it's just because I did it first. The, I did it before Ben the first time, and then we were just like, "Yeah, stuck. it just happened." Fair enough. <laughs> Should we move on to recommendations now? We're doing the jingle. <laughs> that is unfinished, Ollie. You can't reveal oh, that. Oh no! Top secret. I'm leaking, leaking things we've got in the works. Yeah, you need to put on the blog. We've got a big project planned. <laughs> it's a <laughs> three right second. Now. Jingle. The most catchy thing you'll ever hear. <laughs> um, who has recommendations? I have two, because I watched two good films. That is good, because I don't have any. Yeah, I, I have like, a ben. quick thing. All I was going to um, recommend pretty briefly is um, the book. Well, I, I think there is a film, but I haven't 
seen that just the book Fahrenheit 451, which oh, is yeah. basically, it's like a future where, um, well, probably a bit like we're living in now, so, sort of um, fascist and uh, and <laughs> what? All uh, old, old books are destroyed, and um, it's basically follows by firemen, and it basically follows the story of the protagonist called Guy Montag, who uh, basically stores away some some books, and then it basically just sort of shows the consequences of that. It's quite interesting to sort of see the threat of. Well, I guess just knowledge against the state, or it's quite a good um. Of, it's not really post-apocalyptic, but it's sort of just looking at totalitarianism through a different lens, and I'd recommend that. Cool. Uh, would you, is it as good as nineteen eighty one? Because I I know that well, that's not that doesn't exist. In 1984, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know why I said it. It's because it's 451. 1984. Well, no, probably not, but... It's, no. It's not as iconic, I would say. Yeah. It does um, have a review from... My copy has a review on the front from Barack Obama. So wow. It's pretty cool. Top book reviewer. Yeah. You subscribe um, to Barack Obama. <laughs> right, I've got two films, okay. So buckle in. Do you want me to talk about yeah. the sci-fi one or the the drama one? What are we going for first, quick? The the sci-fi one. Sci-fi. Okay. Uh the first film I'm recommending is Children of Men. Have you heard of it? Have you heard of it? I feel is like they added that quite that quite recently added on Netflix because I Yes, because it was on my list and I wanted to watch it and then they took it off Netflix and then they added it again. I was like, quick, watch yeah. it. Um, so this is about is uh, the near future, so 2027, um, where basically the world's population, it, it happened in 2009. Okay, this was made in 2006. So don't worry, they, they've not just like changed history. Um, basically what happened is in 2009, uh, the entire human population suddenly becomes infertile. So there's no kids, um, and it kind of becomes a like a ugh, totalitarian state. I, it's very it's run by authorities, so the police and stuff, and basically all of society has collapsed except the UK, which means there's extremely restrictive immigration laws so they'll just be they'll keep immigrants in cages and stuff that like just by the side of train stations uh and it's about this uh guy called <laughs> one second what's the big character called theo that's it uh played by clive owen really well who basically ends up helping a, a resistance transport the first pregnant woman in 18 years to safety. So she's just miraculously pregnant, and no one knows why, because no one even knew why everyone was infertile. Uh, but it's it's a like a really interesting exploration of what would happen. You know, people feeling like they've lost purpose, uh, 
also how people behave uh, with authority. And the last like half an hour as well is like amazing cinema. Uh, it's a lot of it's action, and it's all done in like really long takes. And it it just I mean it looks brilliant, and the set design is perfect. It's not got loads of exposition on this uh, dystopian world, but it just has subtle things in the background like billboards that say it's illegal to dodge fertility tests, and also other things that don't really need to be expanded upon like there's this brand called quietus who sell uh basically suicide kits to people as a way of euthanasia because people just give up or maybe they want a quiet death and it's it's quite an interesting thing to add uh but the camera works great theo is like a really interesting modern uh action hero because he he kills one person which might be a spoiler but that's like in the midst of action and he never picks up a gun or anything he's mainly just trying to guide someone to safety so it's it goes against the kind of macho action hero people are used to even though there is a lot of action and it's really good action uh so it's just it's just really good and uh yeah i I recommend you should watch that if you're into sci-fi and stuff and uh, long take cinema yeah, it's really good um, my second recommendation <laughs> is Requiem for a Dream which is a kind of a study on the effect of addiction uh, on four characters so three of them are basically just you know addicted to heroin and stuff uh and they all spiral downwards, but a lot of what people more connect with is uh, um, one of the characters' mothers, who's obviously a bit older, who gets told that they have a chance to be on TV, and they want to go in their favourite red dress uh, that was their husband's favourite before they died, but she realises she can't fit in it and basically ends up on diet pills. Uh, but the diet pills she takes is basically just ecstasy. So she gets hooked on these pills. It does lose loads of weight, but gradually loses her grip on reality. And all these characters' lives kind of spiral downwards. After at the start, it seems to be looking good because uh, obviously uh, it's Jared Leto is Harry Goldfarb. Um, his his mum has to be on TV. Uh, Harry, who Jared Leto plays, and his like pals basically. Managed to make a load of money off of reselling. Uh, I think it's heroin. So it's, it seems to be looking up for them because they were going to use the money to make uh, to open a shop f- for his girlfriend who designs dresses. But they end up just spiraling downwards, and the last twenty minutes is like a really disturbing climax of just all of these characters' lives. It's just coming to the peak of the horror and just this montage of rapid edits and stuff like that. And it's, uh, it's pretty disturbing. So it's one that is really important to watch, I think, but you you might not want to rewatch it for a while. Uh, but it's got, I mean, that this also has a really good visual style, uh, of like rapid edits and then using stuff like a character in the midst while everything is sped up around them, kind of show the drug use. And then, uh, when it shows them taking drugs like rapid cuts 
of like cells being injected and then uh, pupils dilating and stuff. Uh, it's really good. And it's only an hour and 40 minutes, so no excuse not to watch it because it's on Netflix too. So watch Requiem for a Dream. Really? I think um, if our last episode was, we talked a lot about Star Wars, I think this one we've talked quite a bit about drugs. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a big topic of fear and loathing. It is. Yeah, the same way Star Wars is a big topic of a good time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So I guess we should wrap it up and say that thanks for listening. The audio dropped out a couple of times, so sorry for that. I'll try edit that before I put it on podcast platforms. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a review. Like, don't leave a like, leave a review. They're more helpful. They're more constructive. Yeah, and tell so, us what to watch. Or a question. Yeah, yeah you can ask kids. questions, give us stuff to watch, give us feedback. You can contact us via the website, entertainmentofexcellence.wordpress.com or uh, Twitter or Instagram, both of which are at Podcast. Yeah. So follow us there. We post clips. Um, so thanks. If there's anyone out there listening, thanks for sticking with us to our 10th episode. Whoa. Hopefully there'll be another 10 soon enough. Um, and <laughs> I'm considering putting on social media a collection of the messed up openers. So. Yeah. How many followers do we have to get? Uh, how many listeners do we have to get to to watch um, Legend of the Twenty Forty Nine again? Fifty. Fifty. Currently, currently have twelve. <laughs> Let's hit that. The race is on. We're on. Yeah. So, anyway, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed. All right. See you. All right. All right see you. Yeah, that's what's